listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you begin when you're learning to believe again? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I have Isabel Velasco on with me today to share her testimony and some recent experiences she has had with the Lord, and I am just so excited to have her on. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for having me. Uh, Well, like you said, my name is Isabel Velasco. I live in Los Angeles. I have um, currently I'm working in the substance abuse field. I have, um, you know, I have a a background in in, um, the field that I work in, per se. Right. And um, so some of the things that I'm currently doing is working from home. I get to work as a remote. I'm a remote worker for a substance abuse organization that I've been with since um, 1999. And so I work with people that are uh, suffering from substances and alcoholism. I also get the opportunity to work with uh, the most vulnerable population in in our communities, the homeless, um, people that are struggling, trying to get off their drugs, or they have uh, judicial problems, and they're court ordered referred to um, treatment. So I've been blessed with that opportunity um, to use my past for the career that I'm in right now. Uh, yeah. I'm also a grandmother and I'm a minister in, in the ministry that I, I attend. That's awesome. I'm so glad to have you. And it's just amazing the work that you get to do. God really does take our experiences and turn us into deliverers for the very things that we were delivered from. Right. Such a powerful thing that he does with that. So I just want to start in right away. I know that you shared just a tiny snippet of what we're about to hear about, that you have some history with substance abuse yourself. But I want to go back even a little bit further than that and just ask, obviously, you are a minister now and you love the Lord now, but did you have any experience of God or church as a little girl or growing up? I didn't. Um, Not as a Christian. I did have, um, I, I was born in... 1966, um, to a young, a 19-year-old single parent that crossed the border with a two-week-old baby in arms and came looking for her husband out here in um, LA. Um, they met up. Eventually, he um, he left her at a supermarket and with that two-week-old baby in arms. So whatever wow. she was going through, as a, as a young uh, mother, a 19-year-old, that's a baby. Um, and previous to that, just in her, in the pregnancy, I was going through it inside there, yeah. you know? And so, um, she was left there, uh, with me in arms and she was taken in, um, somebody seen her, a lady seen her and, and, um, gave her refuge. A couple months later, my mother married, um, who is my stepfather today. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he gave her a home, gave me a home and they married, they later married, uh, what happened in that relationship is there was a lot of abuse, there was mm-hmm. a lot of domestic violence, a lot of what I grew up thinking, me and my sisters, um, I, I didn't know he wasn't my father until I was about 13. Mm-hmm. But during those primary years, there was a lot of fighting, a lot of um, abuse amongst them. And, and for us children, it was more like physical. I was the oldest child, physical abuse, uh, emotional, mental, verbal and um, and we witnessed that. So we thought I thought it was normal, you know, being brought yeah. up 
listening to them fight and thinking uh, as they went to, as we went to bed, that was our bedtime story, listening to them fight and, and thinking we would ask each other. Um, my sisters would say, Isabel, can you hear her breathing? Can you hear her crying? And so we would listen through the wall. Yeah. And, um, and, and I would say, yeah, I hear her. I hear her. I think she's in the chair in such and such corner, you know, cause you hear wow. the rustling as, as children, we were, it was three little girls. You get to, you know, we listen, kids pay attention. So yeah, kids are do. watching, kids are watching what's going on in those relationships. And so we watched. And so I grew up with the, it's, this is normal. You know, they love each other and this is normal. It's part of life. And, and of course it isn't. Right. Um, a little bit later, I'm going to kind of move forward a little bit. It's, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I think because of the abuse and the violence and um, everything going on at home, I wanted to run away from the situation, change the situation. So I couldn't. So I started running uh, at the age of 12, from 12 to 15. I ran away 27 times. Um, wow. You know, putting myself at risk out there in the streets and different gang infested areas. It was just the Lord watching over me that I yeah. didn't get abducted, raped, murdered. I didn't really get started on drugs yet. But I, looking back now, I could see that I was trying to fix already. I was fixing already. Um, behavior by running. And um, at some point, I think I was about 13 years old. My parents were desperate. Uh, My mother was Catholic, but she was also searching. So I remember as a little girl, we visited many different churches. Some churches had an eyeball. Some churches were Jehovah Witness churches. Some churches were, you know, just different. She was searching. And um, that's, that's my interpretation of that now. Uh, I do remember we had a Bible it was a large um, pic- like a picture Bible, those really old fashioned Catholic Bibles. And um, yeah, and and um, and so she would look I would look through the pictures with her and I would ask, what is this? What is that? And she would tell me a little bit about this story in the Bible or that story. And so that's that was my experience. A lot of uh, fragmented memories of, of um, searching somebody searching and the pictures in the Bible, like Jesus knocking at the door. And me asking mm-hmm. her, what is that? And she would ex- explain it to me. Um, yeah. I believe I believe she gave me what she was given, the best, right. the best. And um, the father figure in the home, um, he wasn't um, he wasn't involved in any of our like anywhere she went for church. She, she, he never came with us. Um, but the violence continued. The arguing. We thought it was normal. I thought it was normal. We were poor. Yeah. We moved around a lot. I remember at the age of probably about 13, one day I woke up and I was, I was starting to run away. So I had that restless, rebellious spirit. So already coming about, um, I remember there was also a lot of, um, um, what do you call those horoscopes? Um, Mm. there was, you know, my, 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 my mother would lean in that direction with horoscopes and, um, and she would have me in Bible study at a Catholic church where she had a lot of stuff, uh, you know, jewelry and things right. on our walls, you know, like, you know, her, um, you know, dabbling with stuff like that. I remember one Christmas, I was a pretty content child. I never really seen the difference. And I didn't know we were poor. I didn't know I was a stepchild. I didn't know any of those things. I was a content <laughs> child. You know, yeah. I didn't know that we were uh, poor or anything like that. Because um, we had food, you know, beans and rice. Right. And, rice and beans. And that was fine with me, you know, and that was so what you were used just, to. Yeah, I didn't know. And I was used to the abuse and the fighting and all that stuff that went on in the house. And 
and the control, you know, um, there was a lot of control. And, um, so anyways, um, I remember one morning waking up and I, I was, I was probably on my third time running away. So it's probably closer to 12. And I woke up on a Saturday morning and, and, um, you know, immediately I went to the bathroom and I was going to look to see where I can climb out of, you know, I was going to climb out of the window because I, I was starting to do that. And there was a world out there and there was adventure and, you know, the enemy, I had no clue what was going on, but I was, yeah, there was, there was something happening out there and I needed to get out there. And I was yeah. thinking about my folks and, and, and how they feel, what I'm going to put them through. So I remember um, waking up this one morning and I went to open up my, um, you know, where my clothes are at the drawers. And there, there was five of them. And my, my space was like five drawers. That's like where everything that I owned went. And so yeah. I went to open it because I was wearing pajamas and I went to open it slowly because they had company and I thought, oh, they can't hear me. I can get dressed and yeah. get in that bathroom and climb out the window. And there was nothing. There was nothing. They were all empty. So I came out to where they were at in the kitchen and and they they immediately rushed me. They got a plate. I guess they had already had a little plate with breakfast for me. And this, these aunts and uncles from Baja, California, TJ were there and they got me in the car. They put me in the middle. I had an aunt and uncle, my parents in the front. And my, you know, my mother had that, we call it El Cinto, the belt. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the notorious belt. And she sat in that front seat and she looked at me and said, don't try it. And, and I remember going, I had no clue what we're doing. I'm just like, I'm in pajamas. They got a little bowl of food. At this point, I don't care for anything. I'm just looking at my aunt and uncle like, what's happening? Yeah. So they're going to go fix me because when parents are desperate, sometimes they hear from other parents or family members, we just bring her over here. And I know this place where she can get an exorcism. Oh, boy. So, yeah, we crossed that border. I remember as we were getting closer, I was poking at my uncle and aunt because they weren't they weren't. pretty rough with me, but they were stern. They were following whatever. They were part of that whole thing. Right. So I remember they told me, you're going to go stay with us and you're going to be fine. And you know, when you calm down and you settle down, you know, and I was like, so I'm looking at like, we're getting to San Diego and I'm like, I don't know how to swim in my brain. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh, mm -mm, I'm going to get me a little, one of those swimsuit things. And yeah. And I'm gonna learn how and I'm in my brain because I'm young, you know. I'm thinking I'm gonna swim my little way across the border and come <laughs> back to you know, when you're a kid, you think you could do all things, right? Right. <laughs> I'm gonna swim back to my home, like it ain't gonna work because I was rebellious, you know, which right. is what witchcraft, right? But now they're taking me over the border the next morning. Uh, it's dark for at this building, and it's like on the hillside and it all smelled like fish, that whole area. When you're a teenager, those things matter. It was stunk and it was dirty and our car was tilted. It just getting up there. It was like a rocky terrain little area. And and there was a lot of people outside this, like um, one floor. It was like not not a not a high building, a low building. And um, there was a lot of people outside, like sick people, older people, um, a lot of people from everywhere. And, yeah. and I remember we stood in line and I was hungry. I remember looking at my mother. I was, I was, you know, I wasn't a nice picture, rebellious, you know, how teenagers can get. Yes. So I'm looking at her, giving her dirty looks and what are we doing here? And, 
every chance I get, you know how it is. You get to talk to your parent a certain ugly way that you want in front of everybody else. And uh, mm -hmm. so my mom would just give me that look. It's called La Mirada, that look, like, you better calm down, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> she had, uh, one of my sisters was with us. She was seven months old at that time. She was holding her. And we stood in this line and like from four in the morning. And when it, it opened, I remember people were coming in. We were, we were nowhere near the front of the line. So it was, it was torturous. We, once it was our turn, we got in and it stunk. It stunk like candles. There was candles everywhere. Yeah. There was just a lot of weird things, you know? Uh, yeah. Chickens and mm. different things, different things. And, um, what do you call those palms? A lot of palms on the floor, a yeah. lot of ashes, a lot of weird stuff. And I remember the, the butler guy that let us in, he was creepy. He let us in and we went down this doorway, this hallway. And once we got into this room, it was like my aunt, my mom. And I think this aunt was telling my mom, like, this is going to work. And now looking yeah. back, it was, the, it was bad, 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 you know, just open doors for me. And, um, to the dark realm. And I remember I had to lay down on the ground on top of a bunch of like palms and leaves and sticks. Wow. And, and there was a blind lady. They were blowing like with a, some kind of, I don't know, bamboo, probably they were yeah. blowing smoke on me and they were saying weird things. They were chanting and on the way yeah. out of there before leaving, they stuck, um, they spit like they would put something in their mouth and then spit it out on, on newspaper and they stuck it in my top. And uh, my whole torso area, you know, I was young, so <laughs> yes, yeah. it was it was safe to stuff stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my ironing board had more bumps than I did. <laughs> so I was young, <laughs> so they stuffed me up with you know they stuffed me up with newspaper with who knows what chunk curses on it. And uh, I remember we walked out of there. They walked us out, and they gave my mom uh, a piece of paper. That of course later I found out was a prescription and it was like some mm -hmm. concoction. It was like a, some kind of nasty tea, a greasy, nasty tea. And, uh, oh. and so they had to give me that for 10 days. And um, I remember walking out of there, we're walking out and I was lit. I was upset. I was like, you know, anyways, what we're was saying that? now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I remember just like, this just did not happen. I felt violated. I felt all kinds of stuff. And I was, I was now angry. And so that was new, right? Yeah. I was respectful. I was rebellious, but I was respectful. And I was mm. more like a takeoff. I was a takeoff. I'm going to take off. I'm, I'm going to fix this right now. I'm going to take off. Bye. See yeah. you. And, and I wouldn't say nothing. I would just disappear. But now I was angry. And I just think that whole demonic activity that took place in there. So we're walking out and my mom slips. She has the baby that my youngest sister at that oh time, my gosh. she's, so she, she takes a tumble and out of my mouth came this just laughter and like just laughing. And we, you know, it was just, it was, oh, wow. I look back at that and I think, you know, parents sometimes don't know what they're doing with their children and in desperation, they, they're looking for solutions and, and they're, you know, they're ignorant and they believe because out of desperation that this might work and they do more harm. Um, so we got out of there. They kept me out there in TJ for, I think it was two months. Of course, I, I would like to say it was forever, but it wasn't. It was about two months. <laughs> it felt like forever. <laughs> yeah, I never got a diver suit and I never tried to get near, get near the beach. And swim. <laughs> None of that happened. 
I just try to behave. I behaved as best I could. And, and then they brought me back. And, and so they thought my running away was over. I'm done. I retired. And that wasn't it. it. I was on, it was on, it was on once I got back here, you know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, there was a lot of abuse in the house and I wanted to run from that. And I wanted at school, yeah. I was always the new student. It was hard to make friends when, when your parents move a lot, around a lot. I was a Spanish speaking child um, in my primary years. And, and I remember having to go to ESL and, and learn the language and being the oldest child, I didn't have that help, that assistance. So I always felt like I didn't fit in. Yeah. Now as an adult and knowing who I am and who I belong to, <laughs> I'm not weird. <laughs> <laughs> I belong to a tribe. But back yeah. then, I didn't know none of this stuff. It was just a lot of not fitting in, it, like yeah. like just a long stretch of not ever fitting in anywhere, and uh, being the oddball, the weirdo, and uh, and so I remember um, getting back here, and that journey, the running away continued. One day, I, I ran away, and my running away was probably the most was two weeks at that time, and and my mom would be frantic. My my stepdad, who I knew as my dad back then. Um, he would more like just get her to calm down. And, and, um, but I didn't know he was my stepfather. I think with, eventually I found out, but they would look for me a little bit. And then some police officer would come up with me and I'd get arrested for some dumb, like dumb stuff. I got arrested for a lot of stupid stuff. Excuse my language, yeah. but I got arrested for stuff as a minor, like yeah. other people committing the crime and you're just there in the car. So you're getting charged right. with attempted murder. And you had, you're like, I was just counting the little weed, the weed seeds in the car. I don't know what they did. <laughs> I was yeah. just a kid, you know? And, yeah. um, but they would bring me home. And eventually one day I took off and my parents moved. And so, yeah, the bottom for a runaway is like, come home and you have see a for rent sign. <laughs> so yeah, I stopped. So eventually I ended up with uh, my godmother. She was an older um, lady that lived nearby. I, I, I made my way to her house. The neighbors couldn't tell me where my parents moved to. And wow. um, and I stood with her three days. And I think they just did that on purpose. You know, she must to have known where you were at. Mm -hmm. So three and days in detox from the streets in her house was torture. And so she eventually, they eventually picked me up. And I thought my parents had moved out to the country or something from, from like yeah. Los Angeles. They moved out to Rosemead. You know, but I uh -huh. thought I thought this was a country. The roads were super big. Everything was different. It was far. So they took me home and uh, and I enrolled in a new school out there. And I sort of kind of agreed that I would behave because, you know, I was humbled by not having a family when I came back. <laughs> yeah, I agreed to something. I don't remember what I agreed, but I must have agreed to behave and go to school. And, and so how old were you at, at that point? Um, how old I was were you? about to hit I was about to hit 15. So okay. I did, uh, I started the ninth grade out there in um, the city of San Gabriel. So San Gabriel High. And I remember out where we used to live, there was like gunshots at my, a lot of gang activity, rats. I remember the rats. They were, like I said, I mentioned before we were poor, right? So <laughs> there was yeah. rats from the warehouse. And so besides the violence, there was like stuff that I don't think kids should go through. But we did. I never... We never got hurt by those things. They look like cats, but they would come in through the closet. And, you know, we have some stories, me and my sisters, like, wow. you know, so, but nonetheless, um, I remember um, doing my best to, to fit in and, and, and be a student in, in, 
previous to all of this, I remember I was a good student and I was an A student up until that, that mark, the 12 years old, uh, I was in gymnastics. I was an A student. I was, uh, doing my best and doing good and, uh, competitive, very competitive. Um, and, um, but then they moved me from schools from a junior high to another junior. And I think that's where oh. it happened. Like I never had friends and yeah. you, you, you stay somewhere for a year and you have a little bit of, you know, you kind of get your little feet in the ground and, yeah. you know, you belong to a team of, of you know, gymnastics and, and then they, yeah. they interrupt that. And so mm-hmm. I think it's crucial for, for kids to have some stability for their security Absolutely. and, um, yep. And to, for them to feel grounded, no matter what madness is happening at home, kids need it, you know, that security. And sometimes teachers, when you're there long enough, they, I remember, um, you know, just feeling the validation and the acceptance from teachers that were, that were celebrating my efforts and my work. And, yeah. and then when you take that from children, the moving around, uh, it affects them, it affects them. And then they're, they're exposed and they're vulnerable to, to the environment, to whatever's happening in and, and, yep. and the school I went to, I remember there was a, you know, uh, you know, I call it, you know, gang activity, but youngsters, little youngsters following yeah. in there in footsteps, generational curses and stuff. And right. I didn't, I didn't have that type of stuff in my family. I had the abuse and the trauma and, uh, you know, the domestic violence and the poverty and the witchcraft going on, but I didn't have, um, gang, you know, at gang activity or anything like that or, or the drugs, right. but Again, trying to fit in, I got involved, uh, I think out of fear, there was one day that, um, you know, I was threatened by somebody. And um, from there, I think uh, just to try to survive, um, you, you take on a different personality, a role. Um, yeah. And so there was that, that there was that there was that protector side of me that took on a role and, and, um, and tried to, you know, I got involved in gangs and I just try to protect myself. I, I gave myself a name, you know, and so I'm looking for like the worst name to be scary in a sense, you know, there was this girl, uh, Diabla and Diabla uh-huh. is like devil woman. And, um, I'm like far from that. That's not my identity, yeah. but that's what I did at that young yeah. age as a protector, the protector, yeah. Uh, side of me um, or fragment, right? Um, to protect myself. And and so then I try to live up to that. And and I just, you know, my grades went down. I got into a fight. And and, um, and so just, you know, uh, you know, I start I, I, I had a taste of that. That's not a lifestyle I embraced. But I got a taste of it. And I, I no longer wanted to be a good student or fit in. Yeah. Um, I started smoking. I started, I, I was already running away. So anyways, that moving forward in ju- in the high school that I went to, I, I did well for a little bit. And, and then I met a him, <laughs> the first, mm. him. <laughs> the first, him. the first him and, you know, your kids, you know, and, and, you know, I didn't, I, by then I had already learned that my father was not my, my biological father. And I had learned. So there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of anger towards my mother for um, allowing the abuse, the physical abuse, like he's not my father and you're letting him hit me. And I I became very accustomed to the whoopings. I was deemed the hero child. So anytime we were going to get a good whoop, butt, I would step up for my sisters because either that one is crying or that one's like having to touch her and she's crying. So I would do the step up 
for like, just do something weird, you know, smack my teeth or roll my eyes, just something to get like all, everybody over here. Right. So that yeah. they don't get hurt. And, and so I became uh, immune, immunized. You know, it was, it was like easy to just, let's do it. Let's get it over with. Come on. Don't just touch that belt. Let's do it. Get the bigger one. Why don't you just get the bigger one? And so, yeah. but, but that was all a facade, you know, yeah. um, it was a facade and, and, and I think they were just losing me a little bit more and more. I was getting Absolutely. further. Yeah. So um, when I met that first him, it wasn't too long from lacking that the love and affection and the touch from a, from a father. Yeah. Um, safe father. Yeah. And, and my stepfather, he was caring towards his daughters, my sisters, but I didn't notice it. I noticed it later on in life in treatment yeah. programs. My very first treatment program, I was able to, to remember some things and, and like he can carry them and carry them on his shoulders and they can d jump off a sofa and he would catch them midair. And I started to wonder like, how come you never gotten into that? You know? And, yeah. um, and I started to remember like the gifts, you know, like they got gifts. I got a Ouija board. Why did I get a Ouija board? <laughs> I remember from my mom brought things. me a Ouija board. <laughs> I got a Ouija board <laughs> from, from, it's called big and lots now, but back then it was called, you know, out here on this side, it was called pick and save. And so when your parents don't know, and they're poor, they would shop boards and board games, you know? Oh Checkers, my gosh. Back down. Like, <laughs> your parents are like, here, let's, let's invite the enemy in. And I don't, I don't think they knew, but the enemy knew. Of course the not. Enemy knew. Yeah. The enemy knew. My parents couldn't read. My mom is doing the shot. She couldn't read. She's Spanish speaking. She couldn't read. So, so this board game is more like for my teenager, right? <laughs> And yeah. so uh, I remember the Ouija board. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, <laughs> you know, now, now what I know now, but it's just. It's know, really right. actually amazing how much Ouija boards are so normalized in society because I played with them as a kid at a friend's house. We didn't know, you know, we just thought it was a like cheesy board game. We didn't realize what we were yeah. doing. It's yeah, terrible, is it really, really. Is it really moving or are we moving it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, wow. And, you know, and so anyways, um, like I can see today, like how all that contributed to just opening doors to darkness, to the absolute in my life. And, and, um, but anyways, um, I ended up being, getting pregnant at a young age at 15. And, um, and so it's important for, for kids to have their, contact with their fathers, their just contact that male figure that, that, you know, yeah. That appreciation, that love, that time, that quality time with your daughters, sons and daughters, yeah. but it is what it is. And, and so I grew up in a, in a home where a lot of abuse was demonstrated and, and that's kind of what happened to me. I, I became pregnant at 15. I, I, I think out of fear, I ran away and it was my very last time running away. away. So my pregnancy was basically uh, away from home and mm. uh, a friend, a young girl, not a friend, an acquaintance that, that I had met in that area, the neighborhood. She was a young yeah. girl, a runaway that was like working the streets already. So her parents were, and I had no clue what that was back then. Trust me, I did it. I didn't know what working the streets meant. I learned all right. that later. But back then, Sherry was out in the streets and and her um, her parents were Christian parents, which I was clueless to me back then too. 
their Christian parents interceding for their daughter. And she wow. brought me home. She brought me home. I was a little runaway pregnant. And she brought me home to her parents because she could mm -hmm. stop by and eat. And they were great, beautiful parents. And they decided to offer me to stay there in their wow. son's room. And um, so that was the Lord protecting me, keeping me safe. And at some point, a little bit later on, seven, eight months, I reached out to, I think my cousin told her mother and her mother told my parents and my mom. Um, at some point, I, my cousin told me, your mom wants to talk to you. And I was like, no, 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 you know, because they were about whoop butt. They were like whoopers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, not going to happen. Like, you know, we're not pregnant. So I, we talked and she asked me to, um, to let them help me in my pregnancy. Like, I don't have to hide in somebody else's home and. And at that time, I was um, 15. Um, I gave birth to my son. He's 40 now at, wow. at the age of um, 16. And I was um, I was on welfare my first couple of months on welfare. And I was saving those little checks and eventually um, got a, in a little duplex apartment and moved in there with father that wasn't ready to be a father. <laughs> he was wow. a youngster. He was yeah. a youngster. And um, he was just barely up and running. And and so my, my desire to have a home and not go back to my parents, you know, there was a, you know, with the gang life, there's drug sales and, and that type of right. type of careers you, you see when you're young like that. And so I got involved. I watched him try to sell drugs and, and, and make a profit. And, and I seen him fail. And so I watched the do's and don'ts. I didn't have a substance problem and, and eventually got up, you know, took, took over the, you know, that little project and, and got, yeah. kind of put him to the side and moved him out. Um, the, the partner or domestic violence in our relationship was part of the reason that, that I got him out. But yeah. then I was up, I, I was up and sort of kind of rising in the drug dealing. I was just a kid. I look back now as a 17 year old kid with, wow, what do you know about the world? But I wanted to pay my rent and have enough for diapers and, yeah. and sustain my child. And I was going to school. And uh, I got my diploma and, and they would pick me up in this little yellow bus, <laughs> little yellow <laughs> bus. And so uh, they would pick me up in this little yellow bus and I would try to hide. And and um, and anyways, I got my diploma and because of the drug dealing, eventually I had, uh, you know, had gotten the attention of the police department there. And um, a couple of raids later. Um, I was under 18 still, so I would get released. And then later at 18, I got, you know, they can refile. So right. I started to look at time. I started to dabble also when you hold the bag, you eventually get into the bag. You get a lot of youngsters um, that think, you know, they're not going to get started up. Like, well, I'm not going to end up like people try to tell young people or youth, you know, you don't get started. You're going to end up like your uncle or like that person. And they don't want to hear it. When you're young, you're you think nothing's going to happen to you. You're invincible. I'm not, I'm going to be the exception to the rule. I'm not going to end up like that crackhead. Don't talk to me like that. And mom, don't, you watch and see, you're going to eat your words. <laughs> and so it turned out, yeah, that's the way it goes. <laughs> you end it's amazing. up um, the judgments yeah. that we make when we aren't in that situation, you know, until yeah. you're confronted with something like that. Yeah. Now, now, Looking back, I'm able to see it in the word, you know, he who digs a pit for somebody else will fall into it. And, um, and I'm able to see, I didn't think I was doing harm to anybody, but I'm able to see now that I was doing a lot of harm to people. I was doing harm, not to, to, to not just to those individuals that were 
they were buying drugs and, and using and, and deteriorating or, or progressing in their addiction. But the little brother, the little sister, the mother, the people that yeah. were watching, the sister that I'll never know that overdosed, you know, like it, mm -hmm. we affect a lot of people. And we just, I was young and dumb. And, and I remember thinking, you know, I'm not doing anything because I felt I had a good heart. I'm just trying to pay my rent and my bills and have diapers. Um, yeah, I, I seen him not be able to do it. And I thought, well, I'm not, I don't have a habit. I can do it. But what happens is when you're in that world. The enemy makes sure that you, you're not going to walk out clean. And, and I started dabbling and, um, and next thing, you know, uh, moving forward, you know, I end up having, like I mentioned earlier, a society record, you know, is here yeah. 28 felony arrests, 19 convictions. 25 wow. misdemeanor arrests, 11 were charged. And, um, and, and then all, all this is my judicial records prove that God protects for me, rescues and extremely loves and saves those that belong to him. Because I, I sit here today doing this interview. Yeah. And so God, God protects what's his. It's just, you know, the journey, the journey. Yeah. Put, I put other children through, I have a total of four children. I put them through madness and foster homes and, and um, a lot of, times those foster placements were with family uh but the injury the hurt the trauma the message that what the enemy tries to do and and um in those wounds you know abandonment rejection just repeated itself you know where i was abandoned and rejected and abused and tortured in 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 you know day in day out listening to the message that abuse is normal it's acceptable that's how love is you know i ended up accepting that in my life this other dcfs record here department of children and family services Society called me a felon for a lot of years, an unfit parent by the Department of Children and Family Services, six open cases. My children were removed wow. those six times. One voluntary case, children were not removed. Um, the, this DCFS record here proves that God can restore anyone who calls on his name. Um, That's right. Not a couple of years ago, I became the sole legal guardian of a young man, Giovanni James Johnson. Um, he was in the foster system for a long time. He's I'm still his guardian. He just turned 18 and he's currently in a Christian home um, working on his, you know, he's got a calling on his life. But yeah, I, I never thought another county would offer me custody of a child, like help, you know, be a foster parent. But right. God again shows showed me that he can do he can do absolutely anything. I'm a miracle baby. So I have a hard time not believing and prodigals can come home. I have a hard time not believing that miracles can happen. Because yeah. I am a miracle baby. And so I know yeah. that miracles can happen. Um, moving forward, I put uh, I had a, to a total of four children. My sons are um, 34 and 40. And I didn't raise that 40-year-old. Um, I didn't raise that son. He he was raised by his paternal uh, aunt and, and the paternal side of the family, grandparents. And, yeah. uh, and God allowed me in his life when he was about 16, 17 years old. And, uh, and we have a good relationship today. But my other That's children, the three other children, I have my youngest daughter is 29 and, and my oldest daughter is 33. And um, and they went through a lot of stuff. So there was a lot of anger, a lot of hurt in my early recovery um, yeah. because I put them through a lot. I ran them over and backed it up and ran them over again and moved it forward and ran them over again, you know, over and over and over. Not um, literally. <laughs> but, yeah. But, you know, I did in a sense. But emotionally. Like, yeah, emotionally. Yeah. Um, so my, my, my drug use began, um, with the sales of drugs and just trying to support myself as a youngster and, and it progressed. And I ended up from like the dabbling, just cigarettes, weed, 
to eventually cocaine, um, injecting cocaine and then crack cocaine. And the wow. streets of um, the streets of LA, you know, went from, you know, a young mom, uh, baby having a baby to a crackhead, um, a, you know, prostitution. Yeah. I have a decorated record. I call it a decorated record, but it's a <laughs> message. I'm decorated and, and none of this, right, defines me. None of this That's defines right. me. I am who he says I am. Long before all this stuff happened, the God had planned me. That's and right. Thesis, Psalms 139. And all the days of my life were written out. And I, I, I was yet to encounter any of that. So there was, um, I think it was in 1990, February the 13th of 1995, I had been arrested and I was in custody. My ex-husband, okay, two exes ago, husband, <laughs> my, <laughs> my first ex-husband uh, was taking care of the children. And, and he was just so angry dealing with this woman that kept coming and going and coming and going. And he bailed me out. I had been in custody a few days and he bailed me out. He put up the house and and he brought me home. And I remember that night I was, um, I was feeny. I wanted to leave and I had to say no. And I laid there in bed and I held my kids yeah. and I didn't leave. I wanted, I wanted Christ out there in the streets. I got saved over a dozen times. Anytime they went wow. out there to witness ministries went out there to witness. I was like that little moth to the light. I would get yeah. near I would get saved. I would listen to all the beautiful things they have to say. I'm a listener and I'm a word watcher and I would mm -hmm. listen and I would hear the, I would hear the love of God in their voice. Mm -hmm. And I would love coming up to people that were witnessing and I would get yeah. saved. But I always remember those little people in the, in the little pamphlets, like, but in the end she didn't receive Christ and the car went off the cliff and she died, you know? And, and so she, uh. you know, and so I would think, <laughs> okay, so I would go near them and get saved. But all that would happen because I wasn't getting plugged in and getting out of that environment is I would go back to my hotel room or wherever I was working out of, surviving out of. Um, I was in bondage and I would just shoot up a little less or smoke a smaller hit because mm -hmm. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to be a statistic, but I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be a Christian. Yeah. I didn't want to be a counselor. I didn't want to be a president. I didn't want to do anything like that. I wanted to be a Christian. And I remember when I would finally fall asleep at times because, you know, cocaine and crack and shooting up coke, um, you don't really sleep. Not much. Yeah, <laughs> not much. <laughs> so so four or five days later, sometimes two, three days when I would finally fall asleep, uh, I would hit the pillow. But it was like involuntarily, like my body was tired and I would knock out. Right. So. So that happened for a long time. And uh, this one particular uh, February the 13th, uh, my ex-husband bailed me out, brought me home. I went to bed with the kids. I didn't want to leave. I was fiending and I stood in bed and I remember feeling something poke my, my like my hip, like close to midnight. I, I felt a touch on my hip and I opened my eyes and the kids were asleep. The fiending or desire to bolt was gone. And it yeah. was my ex-husband. He just went like, come here. And I looked at him and I got up out of the bed. You know how we do as moms? We try to get out of the bed real carefully so the kids don't wake <laughs> yeah. up, right? Or yeah. they don't grab you with that little arm. Or uh -huh. I got off and I followed him. And, and then when I followed him to the living room, he had a plan. He had went out to his brother's house and uh, borrowed um, a gun with a silencer. So <sighs> what the enemy was telling him is you got to take her out now before she does it again. Whoa. And... Um, God is good. 
So he called me and he started to ask me questions about, you know, he wanted numbers and stuff like that. And, you know, you've been a social mm-hmm. worker out there, public relations lady, how many, you know, dumb questions that you, you ask me some dumb stuff, you're going to get a dumb answer. So yeah, I answered in that way. And, and eventually the beating began. And um, mm-hmm. I walked in the bathroom and I went to sit down in the bathroom and to relieve myself. And it turned out that he started punching. And, um, and he's a six foot one, I'm five, four. He started punching while I was, you know, invulnerable, right. You're sitting down on the planet and, um, and he started punching and, and what he did is at some point my head went all over the place against the wall everywhere. Um, he went into the room, a spare room. We had a spare bedroom right outside. And he went for that silencer, that gun that he, I don't know much about a lot of these pieces, but he went and he got it. And he says that something told him, you're going to wake up the kids. You're going to wake up the neighbors. So he grabbed an iron, one of those irons, you know, those old fashioned metal irons with that cord, you know, that cloth cord. So he grabbed that cord, tore it off and he came back in the bathroom and he wrapped my neck. And on the first try, on the first try, my hand was in the way and, um, it needed to come to this. I'll tell you this, Brittany, it needed to come to this because the enemy had a plot, but God has a plan. Yeah. And it was like a few minutes before Valentine's. Oh so my, my anniversary goodness. with the Lord is Valentine's Day because obviously I'm here right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> 1995. So he wraps my neck. He lifts me up. He's taller than me, but I had my one hand stuck in there. And yeah. um, so he kept trying to lift me. He kept trying to lift me and I kept like scrambling for the, the tub. And, and he got me up. I got myself up. So he let go. I guess he got frustrated. Like her hand, she's not, it's, this isn't yeah. easy, right? And he tried it again. <laughs> the struggle was on, you know, when you're fighting for your life, it's on, you know? And so yeah. the second time he wrapped me, he lifted me up. And I remember reaching, he tried to keep me away from the toilet, from the, I'm sorry, from the tub. And I was trying to reach for the tub with my feet so I could push myself, elevate. And I remember that as he lifted me up, my eyes were looking into his. And I remember it, I, in my head, because I wasn't talking, I couldn't talk, I was being strangled. I said, yeah. Oh my God, he's really going to kill me. And at that point, it was just like a barrage of memories of all the different abuse, moments of abuse, the gun to my yeah. head, the chasing me, this, that. I started to think of the times that I've been beaten and the times I fought him and the times I ran and the times he chased me in another vehicle and he had a gun to me, like, you know, pull over, I'm going to blow, you know, like I started wow. to think of all, and it clicked, he's going to kill me. When I remember saying, oh, my God, he's really going to kill me. And all those memories, little clips start coming in. He lets me go. And I, you know, I hit the ground. Boogers, blood, hair, saliva. Just to make sure, you know, you're not, we're not a good picture when something like that happens. Yeah. No. I hit the ground. I'm coughing. I'm trying to get that cord off me. And he, he makes his way out of the, out of the bathroom. And I hurt. He, I went on the floor so I could feel vibration, right? Cause I'm on the floor and I'm trying to crawl and, and I'm just like, you know, just a big old gory mess trying to crawl out of that bathroom and coughing. And he get he gets to the living room and he, he hits the ground on his knees and face forward, like a big old bear. He was a frightening wow. sight. He was groaning. Uh, the Lord intervened. The Lord showed me that he had to take me from the grip of death. He had to take yeah. me from the grip of death to show me how much he loves me. So Valentine's wow. Day is just for me, it's like his love for me is there's no other. He showed up in my worst. I wasn't looking yeah. hot and pretty in that bathroom that day. <laughs> <laughs> he showed up when I needed him. 
And and he yeah. showed me from then till now that that he he's the one. He's the one. And he took me from the grip of death. But it had to happen like that because many other times it's happened that I didn't make a right or a left, that I didn't get murdered by that trick or that other or that man right. strangle me, that I didn't get go into that basement when later they found bodies there because the guy, the, the the maintenance guy was murdering girls. Like I couldn't see it until until that day. Like, and I remember crawling out of that bathroom and he was on the living room floor, kind of hovering over, groaning. Like, like, yeah. you know, like traveling, let's call it. Right? Yeah. But he wasn't saved. But this horrific groan. And I remember crawling out of there and I put my hand on the sofa and the phone uh -huh. was right there. Like I could have called 911. But guess what? I didn't because I didn't love me. I had tried yeah. calling 911 many times before and I would pretend because I didn't love me. Wow. You know, I didn't love me. I was self-hating myself for a long, a long time, self-loathing. And I remember I put my hand next to the phone and I looked at it. And, um, and I just, and it, that wasn't me to call to, I just, I knew that either I'm going to, in this moment I was going to fake, I crawled up to him and I remember I put my hand on his back and that was all the Lord. And I remember just kind of lovingly stroking his back and saying dumb stuff. Like I'm not worth it. You can go to prison. You could have gone to prison. He had a long prison record. And I remember saying you, you could have gone to prison for this. And I was saying stuff like I'm not worth it. And, um, Wow. And I can't change those words. I'm worth it today. But you are worth I can't, it. back then I couldn't. That's how low and small and, and you know, I did how I thought of myself, you know, all the labels from society, my exes, my texts, you know, I, I had taken on all the labels, you know, the loser, the trash that nobody wants you. The kids don't even miss you. Society calling me unfit, you know, a uh, 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 you know, uh, once an addict, always an addict. I had all these different labels that I had adopted so that I can live comfortably in, in that life, you know? And, um, and, and so I remember telling him and I said, the next words it said is, please let's go to church. I need God. Mm -hmm. And before he used to say stuff like you go to church, you go to church, you need God. But that particular time, I guess, because of what he almost did, right? Right. My neck could have been snapped. I could have been paralyzed or I could have been dead. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember we got up from there and not immediately. There was a whole lot of sobbing and stuff. And for me, just a whole, I was shaking like a leaf. But then I had the shaky baby syndrome all the way from the womb. So, you know, <laughs> I was used to shaking. <laughs> I was used to shaking. I got set free from that shaky baby syndrome. I'm a safe baby. I'm his baby. I know shaky baby yeah. today. No. But um, <laughs> I remember when he finally got up from there, he, he used to talk with his hands, you know, like say stuff. And he was a big, tall guy. So he would talk with yeah. his hands. And I remember <laughs> we had court the next morning. I had to go to court and I had lines across my head. My hair was torn out. I had my head was lifted, you know, with a big cheek on a big bump. Oh, you know, my like, gosh. You just smack yeah. somebody against the wall a few times. They get a little more right. Hair, right? <laughs> so I had wire marks on me and um. A busted lip and there was blood coming down my nose. And I remember he was trying to talk to me and I was just like, <laughs> don't move your hands. But we were planning. I realized then it's past midnight. What was probably a 13 minute thing, you know? Yeah. It, it felt like forever and eternity because I remember it was yeah. a little bit before midnight that he tapped my hip and he said, come here. And all wow. that took place in the in the process of possibly 12, 13 minutes. You know, it, it doesn't take much to take a life. 
Yeah. But, you know, God yeah. stepped in and, and next thing you know, we're in the kitchen and he looks at the time and, uh, and he says, you need to go to bed. We need to go to court in the morning. I had court cause he bailed me out. And I don't remember it was, you know, it was, it was a, a, a mission to just try to get me look nor- a little normal uh, and cover up a lot of cover up and, and, you know, like I couldn't even brush my hair. It was so much pain everywhere, <laughs> wow. but, but we went to court, but again, I hid it. I hid the abuse. We went to court and, and I remember the let's go to church. I need God. That's what eventually happened. A week later, yeah. we showed up at a church, a local church and, and, um, and, you know, I've, I've surrendered my life to Christ so many times. I love saying the sinner's prayer. I love people putting their hands. I love that. I, I love that. The praying for me and the, and the kindness that Christians demonstrated. And I, and I just wanted to be a Christian. So yeah, moving forward, we got involved in ministry, more me, he was more at home and I wanted to hit the streets and evangelize. I wanted to do everything that the church was offering. And he was more like paranoid, like, no, because if she's in the street, she's going to take off. Something's going to jump on her. She's going to be gone. And, and so I waited about a year and a half. I had good leaders. Uh, I was definitely on fire. I was definitely, yeah. I needed to learn how to dress different. Uh, in the beginning, I was, you know, my, my, my clothing was not appropriate, but they never said anything to me. They just loved me with my little skirts and my net stockings. And, and um, <laughs> I think what, what, what made the change was when somebody told me, um, you know, the men in the home are struggling with not just addiction, but other things. And, and sometimes, you know, they could relapse because of, and I remember that's how it, they had to explain it to me but not yeah. directly tell me, Sister Isabel, you need to grow your skirt, right? <laughs> grow your skirt. <laughs> they, nobody, nobody, it was so, but the God was so loving. He knew who to put in front of me to speak to me, not judge yeah. me and not, and not point out things that are not straight yet, but just yeah. love. That's what you do to a prodigal. You love yeah. them when they're stuck in the fence. You love yeah. them when they're stuck on a bench. You love them when they're yeah. under the bridge. You love them when they're dirty and they're climbing in and out of cars and they'll tell you, I'll talk to you in a little bit. You love them no matter how many times you witness and minister to them. You are just God's hands and feet and mouthpiece and you love them. You don't have yeah. to fix everything. God does the rest. And God so moving forward, moving forward, I, I, I got plugged in. I got caught up and I got in ministry and then I had this, this desire um, to be a counselor. I've been in treatment so many times trying to get my kids back, whether parole, probation, or social yeah. workers. I've been in treatment so many times. And so I would, I, I definitely admired counselors. I used to think, wow, these people are just born with all this knowledge. I didn't, you know, of course not. They were addicts before. Right. But I, I just, at that moment, you just think they're the most intelligent people. And, <laughs> you know, I did tell you, I came, I had nobody well, that graduated high school before me or college or anything. And so, you know, there is a verse in the Bible that says we have to be made fools to be made wise at times. Yeah. So they did the carry wisdom. They carried wisdom yeah. from the days that they were foolish because yeah. God used that foolishness to make them wise. Yeah. And so I had a lot of those. I had a lot. And, and the most beautiful part is I had the program that I work for today. I was a seven time client of that program. Uh, there was wow. one counselor. There was one counselor there that he's gone on to be with the Lord. And, and, um, and I remember I would sit in his office and I would listen to his soft little music, what we call Christian music now. Right. And I would like, mm-hmm. what is that playing? And he was just a good listener. He was just doing his work and, and he, and, but he would never tell me get out, go wait in the lobby. I'll, t- I'll talk to you in a, in a little yeah. bit. He used to just let me sit there and, and sniff out, you know, the environment, the peace that was in his office and that little music. 
you know, and, and stare at his pictures and, and ask questions about who's that and who's this. And Hey, is that you in prison? And, you know, and he was just letting me be that little probing kid, you know, it was an, yeah. I was a grown woman. And, um, and I, and I remember, um, learning from him that, that, you know, he was lost and now he's found. And, and, um, and so all along, I believe he was praying for me. Yeah. Um, and, and he went on to be with the Lord years later, but I remember reaching out to him some years later and asking him in my third year of recovery, how do you become a counselor? What do I need to do? <laughs> I had my lips shaking with fear, you know, making that phone call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he put a, a brother in the Lord, you know, cause it's a big call. Right. And yeah. Ask somebody, I don't know how to, what do you do? Where do you go? Right. And yeah. uh, I didn't go to college at that time. I just went to high school and I was a teen parent and, and my life went West. You know, I, I ended up in jails and prisons and, 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 and prostitution and, and all this other madness, you know, and, and, um, you know, and I'm alive and I want to do this. I just don't know where to start. And he told me, just get down here and start picking up the phone and brother Chico will teach you a thing or two, you know, what to do. <laughs> and, um, and I remember I had a lot of still violence, you know, just not the physical violence it was more mental and yeah. uh, emotional and financial. And I endured it and I tolerated it because I thought that's what love is. You just right. stay together and you do it for the kids. You do it for the kids. And, and, um, and so I would, you know, I, I remained in this relationship that was, uh, with, with the person that, you know, tried to kill that, you. that particular, yeah, that tried to, <laughs> I remained in that relationship and, and the abuse changed. It was no longer physical. So, wow. Okay. We're better. We're on our road to happily ever after. <laughs> and yeah. no, 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 no. Um, God, God had a say, and, and God is a God that loves us and he permits things, but that's not his will. No, we're the ones that bring in that scrawny cat and say, can I keep them? Can I keep them? Can I keep them? I say, okay, <laughs> but I have better for you. And yeah. so I have to learn of that. I have to learn that a few times, not just that time. I came out yeah. of that relationship. I moved into this place and, um, and my children, they weren't too happy. Nobody was happy because you owe us. His mentality was, I can't believe you're walking away. You, I, you owe me. And it's like, I don't know nobody, mm-hmm. anything. I owe me. I owe yeah. me. I own yeah. me and um, moving forward uh, in my third year of recovery. I didn't think that, that I was ever going to, I wasn't interested in love or a romantic relationship. I wasn't interested in any of that. It just, it came and eventually mm-hmm. uh, in the form of, you know, another person acting like a believer and a person in, in recovery. I don't want to speak negative about yeah. my ex, recent ex-husband, but when we met again, it was one of those repeat situations why can I keep him? Can I keep him? You know, he's, yeah. he's, you know, we walk in, um, you know, I walk with Christ. This is the way we're going to do things. You know, I, none of that. I did 40 years of my life, my way. Now we're going to do it God's way. And, and, yeah. and the guy, and the guy rolled with it. The guy got saved. The guy got baptized. The guy got, uh, put a ring on my finger. I've never had diamonds in my life, had some beautiful gleaming diamonds. And, <laughs> and I thought that was it, but no, when you're unequally yoked, and you're yeah. not well, you haven't been healed. You're not, your picker's broke. So I found out my picker's broke. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did 13 years of that. And recently, a few years ago, I, you know, that thing didn't work out. And and now I'm praying for him, interceding for him and his lover. And uh, and I had to file for divorce and get, and uh, three years ago, I was praying for a miracle. 
And, and I'm not going to lie. I remember telling my pastors, I don't want the blood of my marriage in my hands. And they, they had to, Isabel. You yeah. gotta, and so I walked into 2020. I said, Lord, I want to walk into 2020 with 2020 vision. And I asked my pastors if they'll hold my hands through this. I want to jump. Yeah. And I did. And I'm happily divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this coming February will be three years. And I now I look back and say, what was I crying about? I went from oh, yeah. pain to bliss. I went from pain mm-hmm. to bliss. I, I, you know, I'm a single lady. I have uh, quite a few spiritual daughters. I have a prayer meeting, the Battleship Warriors on Tuesday nights. I teach, um, I'm, I teach Wednesday nights drug and alcohol program. Um, I was recently ordained on, on February the 18th, June. I'm sorry, I'm giving you all kinds of dates. On June the 18th. As one of the pastors at my church for um, congratulations the, the, the substance abuse program, and um, and I've been I've been a part of their ministry for the last thirteen years, and about maybe the last five years doing their drug and alcohol. So that was a surprise to me. And at first, I was like, you know, because you still kind of you're 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 cleansed and you're healed, but you still kind of like uh, I don't know, I don't know, like really, Lord, really, <laughs> and 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 so. Um, my new identity has a whole lot of new, beautiful things. Um, I love being um, able to get up and go feed the homeless. Uh, Thanksgiving, yeah. this Thanksgiving, um, on the first year that I was separated, it was like less than two months later, a month and a half later, I was in a lot of pain. And I remember saying to the Holy Spirit, because in this last situation that happened to me in this last, uh, you know, my, my marriage falling apart, I knew of Jesus and I knew Father and I just because of my bad experience with the Papa thing, God is my Papa now. He's my Papa. Yeah. But because I didn't have a good father figure, I couldn't embrace the father thing. And and I didn't. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of mistrust. So Jesus seemed nice on the screen and all that. And I loved how it felt when people prayed for me in the streets. The many times yeah. I was out there and and I love to see that they look like ex-gang mem- members and drug addicts. And they had the look and the tattoos but I had a lot of mistrust. So I didn't have yeah. that Jesus is my friend and I didn't have that God is my daddy. Today, Jesus is my friend. The Holy Spirit is my best friend and God is my papa. But yeah. I, I went through what I had to go through to get to where I'm at today. And, um, and I remember be- feeling like I was broken a million pieces. And I said to the Holy Spirit, the word says that you're my helper and you're my friend. So I'm going to trust you to piece me back together. I want to, I want to learn how to be a best friend. I never had a best friend. Yeah. And he's done that. He's done that. I had to read books like Benny Hinn's book on good morning, Holy Spirit. (laughs) I was looking for stuff to teach me how to be a best friend because I didn't know how to be a best friend. I never had a best friend, but I asked the Holy Spirit to teach me and the Holy Spirit has taught me. And so Mm -hmm. he talks to me. I used to think I was weird. And he's not, I'm not weird. No. He's talking to me. He's talking <laughs> yeah. to me in the colors. He's talking to me in the numbers. He's talking to me. He's talking to me in the rainbow. He he's is. talking to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking to me at all times, but I didn't know that I was deaf. I was yeah. blind and deaf and I was lost. And my life is beautiful. I went from pain to bliss. And um, this, this, this first Thanksgiving after my separation, I asked the Holy Spirit, I was broken a million pieces. And I remember saying, I want you to teach me how to be a best friend. And he has. 
And and I asked him, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving? Because I knew I was going to grieve any type of holiday that was new. My first everything right. after a separation and a divorce and just the whole cheating. Every, I knew it was going to be painful because of walking clients through it. You know, and you it's easy yeah. to tell another person, you know what, you just stay with, but but when it happens to you, I remember saying to to the Holy Spirit, we're going on a date. Yeah. Show me where we're going. And in that first weekend too, I remember going to different events, looking on this app for events where the Holy Spirit was gonna be at, like Ben, Ben Lib, <laughs> Ben Lim Ministries. <laughs> I was traveling everywhere to so like and some of my friends. <laughs> Some of my friends were tagging along because they were worried, like, what is she doing? But I was looking for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm like, I was looking for the Holy Spirit. I was looking for the Holy Spirit's presence at different churches and congregations and in different cities near me. And then one night I got into a fender bender. I got oh, into wow. a fender bender and I realized I don't need to be out here. I'm in danger. I'm, I'm like a good, I would be a good catch for the enemy out here in darkness and like, uh, I didn't go, and I realized that the Holy Spirit is at home with me. He's right here. Yeah. The crew, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the crew and me, he's right here. And, yeah. and, and I don't have to travel all these pl- to these places, but that's what I did. That first few weeks, I was traveling to all kinds of events to, to, to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And some of my friends were mm-hmm. phenomenal were coming out to meet me and uh flag worship and all kinds of stuff they were trying like they were trying to stay close to me and and i was trying to stay sane and i realized yeah. after that like holy spirit is right here right here with me so on thanksgiving 2019 i asked the holy spirit where are we going and i had this i've always loved feeding the homeless and not that like you know this is not something you tell people this is just like what your right hand does you don't tell your left right. your other hand this is something between I think each one of us in the Lord, we do that in private, you right. know, give a sweater or a blanket, your shoes. It's something you do through the years and you don't tell people. Yeah. But on that particular Thanksgiving, I remember telling Holy Spirit, where are we going? And it was raining hard. And mm. I wasn't going to, I had ordered bread, bologna, Capri Suns, cookies. And, and I had a lot of pamphlets, you know, cause a ministry, and I had yeah. little Bibles, just a different type of little Bibles. And I came up with a hundred baggies and uh, took five boxes with a hundred bags. And we got in the car, me and Holy Spirit got in the car. And I put on some rain boots and a raincoat and an umbrella. And we, we I had the best time ever throughout LA, Skid Road, just jumping out of my car. There was people in, in, in mattresses and wet blankets. There was people that are really broken out there in a, and Holy Spirit would have me give them four or five bags for, because you don't just want to feed a person right then and there. You want to feed them, right. have enough for the rest of the day or tomorrow morning. You right. know? So I, I found myself doing that and it was the best time ever. I love asking people for their name because they matter. And yeah, there's been many you. times that I had people not give me their name, but God knows. And I would say, yeah, you know, which one, Lord, you know, which one? Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, that's something that is special for me for Thanksgiving. And uh, I believe that that uh, when the Lord shows you somebody, um, pull over, get off, do what you can. I've had people not look at me. And I understand I've been there, you know, the shame. And, yeah. um, and then I've seen recently, you know, some su- success cases. I didn't plan them. God did. But he had me experience that miracles are still happening. Yeah, the prodigals absolutely. are coming home. And so there's yes, Nephali. 
Neftali in 2021. He was a young man, 27 year old young man on my way to work on a park on a, what do you call it? Bus stop bench by my work. Um, curled up. You've seen the pictures. Um, mm-hmm. And I would get off and come at him from behind the, that bench, I would park <laughs> in the back. And he would open his eyes and look at me and just turn the other way. And, and so that the Holy Spirit was leading that. Uh, I stopped many times. Sometimes it was like burritos from home. Many yeah. times it was like drive through somewhere and bring it to him. I knew that times it was raining. And so I would take, and a lot of times he wouldn't put, put the clothes on. He, 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 he liked to, I think it's for safety reasons that they stay in their clothes. I know yeah. it's for safety reasons because you're going to get jumped. Or if you, I've had women tell me if I stay like this, then, um, the risk is less that I'm going to get raped, you know, mm-hmm. it, um, the chances are less that someone's going to, you know, uh, beat me up for these shoes or whatever. So I remember with him, it, it was about two months before he started. I would stop by on the weekends. Sometimes I wouldn't. And, and then I would look for him. I would, uh, he would always be on that bench. Like he felt safe there in that bench uh, because of the light from the gas station. And I remember one time I, I came up and I sat next to him and it was during COVID, you know, with my mask and he had masks because of the bags I had been giving him. So, um, I remember asking him where he was from and he gave me some other state at first. And then like within a few days and a few days of sit coming by and not just talking and dropping off the food, but taking the time to sit down, you yeah. know? And, um, you know, at first you're cautious because you don't know what's going to jump on you. <laughs> you know, you don't know, you know right. during COVID, but he told me he came out here to LA, uh, to the Hollywood area. He had a friend that invited him to come stay out here. He did. His father gave him a ticket right before COVID and he, he stood there a couple of months and then, you know, the stay ran out and he ended up in the streets of Hollywood and mm-hmm. things happened to him. And he ended up out here in the East LA area. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more, uh, not as crazy as out there probably, or, yeah. and so he ended up out here and I remember I asked him, uh, about his parents and, and he told me that who, you know, he has parents and, I asked him what kind of family business and, and we talked and he gave me information and I asked him if, cause I wanted to put him on, on a, and I thought, how do I get him on a plane or on a, I have to wash yeah. him up. He was very, very, yeah. very dirty. And, and I remember one night we went down under the bridge and I, I told him, I'm going to drive over there, just follow me. And, and he limped his way there. And I just kind of opened my car doors so that he can bathe with wipes and change and, and the next day when I went to look for him, he was back in his dirty clothes. <laughs> he was trying to be safe. So because yeah. of those little experiences, uh, he finally told me who his father was. And he, I asked him, it was the last time he spoke to him. He said, and I asked him, if, if if we called your dad, would he answer? And he goes, he might, but he's probably going to be very mad at me. So, mm-hmm. And so I said, let's try. And I, it was just Holy Spirit. I dialed, the man answered, Rafael answered and, and at first he was angry. He didn't want, like, he wanted to know who I was and why am I making this phone call? And I just said, I'm sitting next to your son. And I had to get a little stern with him. Like, we're in COVID. There's a lot of people that are dying here. Son's alive. And he's sitting next to me. Will you yeah. sit and talk to him? So he talked to him. And 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 we left it at that. And and so we just kind of, you know, a little bit of food for the rest of the day. And then and later, later that day, his dad called me. And he told me, where is my son? And and he just asked me a little bit more prayer. And I started talking to him about Jesus Christ. He told me that they're Mormons and, and mm-hmm. that they expect for him to, to, to follow in his footsteps. And 
and, and not be a bum and not, and I'd rather him be homeless out there in LA than in Ohio. It's cold over here. And so we left it like that. And probably about 45 minutes later, he called me again. The Holy <laughs> spirit was at work. And he said that they were going to, he's going to, he's going to not go to work the next day. And it's going to be, it's going to take him about a day and a half to get down here. Um, but they're coming to get their son. Yeah. And so I happened to be at a bargain store and, and I remember I had no clue what his foot size was. And I said, well, what's your son's foot size? <laughs> <laughs> because he goes, what are you doing? And I told him, I'm trying to buy him some clothes because it's cold and he yeah. goes, he's not going to wear it. I said, I believe he will. Cause, and I thought, well, we now Rafael, we need to clean him up because he's going to get in your car. I had no yeah, clue what right. And you know what? It was I was in suspense. I had to let Neftali know he was anxious. He talked them. He had not talked that much in in those two months, um, <laughs> like he did that day. He let me know about his family. He let me know a lot. We talked a lot, and 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 then and then they arrived. It was probably like nine twenty at night. They pulled up. And um, they were at the gas station. They couldn't see him. And so they called me and I said, I'm right across the street from you. I'm sitting next to your son on the bench. Yeah. And so that's where you see that picture where he has that. It's a chocolate milk, really. And um, and because um, it was cold. It had been raining off and on. So it was still cold. Like, you know, the, when the ground's wet, it's cold. Yeah. And so they, they drove on over and they got off. And, oh, my God, I love seeing miracles like that. You've seen the look yeah. on the mom's face. She hugged her son like he just came out of the shower. The father embraced. It was just all three of them embracing. And the oh, father just wow. kind of like, come here, Isabel. And I was like, I didn't care about what might jump off on anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> At that moment, I didn't care what might jump on anyone. It was, we were just hugging. We we're doing a group hug. It was fun. It was so much. It was so beautiful to see. A, a, th- these parents came all the way from Ohio to pick up their baby. Yeah. And I had a few words with him and her, like, yeah, he's alive. It doesn't matter yeah. if you, this little duck walks straight. Some ducks want to be in the pond and some doc, ducks want to dance. Some ducks <laughs> want to walk backwards. Like really, if you want to move like a cow, let your little duck move like a cow. Like, <laughs> why would you, this is your baby. And I explained to them, you know, that I'm a prodigal and my, my years yeah. of addiction and my years of, you know, my loss and, and a mother that prayed and prayed and prayed. And, um, and, and mothers give up hope. They get wary. Parents get wary yeah. and they stop and they stop believing. Yeah. You know, your program is yeah. learning to believe again. Mm-hmm. And so God has given me that opportunity. The other day, my mother lost her phone on October. Uh, it was early week of uh, the first week of October. She lost her purse and her cell phone. And, um, and, she, and she wasn't sure where she lost it. So I was busting up that phone because it's on. Um, I have a plan where you know that phone is part of that plan. So I I I was calling that phone and a young man answered. It was close to nine thirty, and a young man answered by the name of Gary. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Gary answered and he was honest with me and told me, "Look, Miss, I have schizophrenia. I'm homeless. Uh, and if you come and get this phone right now, I I can promise you that I'll have it." But if you don't mm-hmm. comfort right now, I, I never, I don't stay put and I lose everything. But can mm-hmm. you bring me a blanket, a backpack, a notepad, a pen, a fishing pole, and please some food because I'm very hungry. And uh, and if you have any shoes, if you have any socks, like literally the list was going and the blanket. Yeah. And, and, and I realized, yeah, he's homeless and it's normal that he would ask for stuff because he needs it. And my mom yeah. was telling me, no, it's 930 at night. Don't, don't go. It's okay. Just 
take it off the plan and ask for, you know, request another phone. And I remember I sat there and I was like, I, I said, Lord, I know you already. I know how he is. I yeah. know what you're up to because you know I won't let I'm I'm this I just heard a young man tell me he was vulnerable. He's I, yeah. I mean I have schizophrenia, but he was kind enough to say, and he just the list that went on and on was because he needed those things. Yeah. So I try to locate him. I asked him to ask anybody near him what the address is, and I could tell that people weren't really responding to him. So he gave me some apartment numbers and in the street he thought he was on and I couldn't locate him, but eventually I, I, I was able to find him. I got there. It wasn't showing on my map quest, but I got out to that area. I kept him on the phone because I was a little mistrustful. Like I don't want to be set up and, and my life just, right. you know, taken and because I'm out at night trying to retrieve right. a phone, but I got <laughs> there and I can see that he was limping. He had injured legs. He was carrying boxes. He was very filthy. He looked like, um, I forgot what that actor is on the island that paints the ball like his friend. What was that actor? Oh, name? yes. Um, Tom Hanks. Yes. In, he looked like Tom Castaway. Hanks. Yeah. He looked and he was walking towards me. And, and when I get off my car, he, he puts his hand out to here, here. And so I was able to see the schizophrenia at that point when he did that, like here, here. And uh, he was more afraid of me. And, and, and I, I went to shake yeah. his hand and he was like, I'm dirty. I'm so, so I was just like, you know, let's fist bump. <laughs> And, and and gave him the blessings minus the fishing pole, right? Because I have no fishing yeah. pole laying around here. <laughs> right. So so took him the blessings, the food, a little bit of funds, and and a blanket, a big blanket. And I learned that he stays by the water conservation park there. And so mm-hmm. I I t- asked him if I could pray for him. I asked him about his legs; they were swollen. And he told me he told me no, not to God, because and he grabbed a little water bottle. He had it all crinkled up and he says, I, I don't believe in God. I believe in the water goddess. See her in here. And I remember looking at him and saying, well, she's not done much for you, has she? So let <laughs> me pray for you. I'm not going to touch you. So I just prayed over his legs yeah. and uh, like, you know, a little bit from a distance. And and he asked me if I could bless him with a fishing pole. And I told him, where are you going to be out like this Sunday? So he says, I'll be here. Mm-hmm. It was a long stretch, but I'm not going to lie. I had a meeting out in that area. Um, and I, I drove out there. I didn't have the fishing pole. I had food and I drove out there and my thing was the next morning. Um, I gave my mom her phone, but the next morning in prayer, I was just deeply moved and touched by him and I had a burden and in prayer, the Holy spirit prompted me to ask my mom for her phone and search it for any calls he might've made. And sure enough, there was one number I dialed it. It was like, in the morning, six in the morning. So the mom answers and she goes, you have the phone that my son called me from. So I told her who I was and we prayed. She told me I haven't seen him in months. And Mm -hmm. so I did, I did make my way out there eventually that weekend. And when I found him, it took me, it was hours before I I was giving up. And I just started asking the Holy spirit, I'm going to make one last run. Please bring him to me. Show me where he's at. And yeah. Before I, I went out to the freeway to head back, I seen I seen this, <laughs> he's, Tom Hanks walking towards on the sidewalk limping. And, um, and so I pulled over. I gave him the food, which is cold by then. The ice was melted to whatever the drink was. And I, and I gave him the food. I pulled out a fold-up chair from my trunk, and I sat him down, and, you know, which was good because his legs were – so he, he kept it. And I put yeah. his mama on FaceTime and they talked and I could hear him saying in Spanish, I love you, mommy. I love you. And uh, I miss you too. And she was asking, can you come out here to Hollywood? And he was saying, no, no. And 
So the other day she texted me and said that, that her son agreed to come out. So he's staying by a bridge near her home. Yeah. And, um, and so he was there for, I think it was like two days before Thanksgiving. As you've seen, he took a shower. <laughs> she cut his hair. He was eating his favorite meal. And it's those things that I'm grateful to God that he pulled me out of darkness, that I, I'm a prodigal baby that he saved. You know, he left, yeah. he leaves the 99 for that one. And I believe that that's what we need to do. I believe that we need to pull over when the Holy Spirit prompts as bad as it looks. And you're like, oh, I don't know if we can, God can fix that. There's a heartbeat. Yep. God can turn it all around. And yes, he can love people, pull over, bless them. Um, you know, water, clothing, anything, anything, mm -hmm. just hi. What can I pray for you about? I had a lady the other night on Thanksgiving, late at night, in my way back home from an event that I went to. I had a couple of bags left, probably like 11 baggies left in my car. And I was like, I don't want these to go into the next year. They're going to get squishy, you know, the sandwiches, you know, the mayonnaise. And so I went looking <laughs> for people and I found a lady and and I asked her, what can I pray for you about? And, and she goes, yeah. anything you want, sweetheart, anything. Needless to say, all those bags went to her so she could have enough food. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but it was just like you come home with that and you the Holy Spirit will show you when he's going to do something with somebody, you can't get them out of your mind. I've seen yeah. it. When the Holy Spirit's going to do something, he just wants you to have the faith to believe. And yeah. he's going to do it. He's going to do it. I've seen now looking back. Yeah, I had a burden, that burden, and we got to believe in what we're praying for and not be double-minded. Just believe, believe. And, yeah. and if he did it for me, he's going to do it for, for, he's going to do it for many other, his children. I believe that when you, when you, when you're God's hands and feet and, and his, in his mouthpiece to the lost, like all you need is that revival that's coming. All mm -hmm. you need is like lift them up lift them up. They're going to go back and lift up many others, you know? Yes. Yes. That's what's happened to most of us. Yeah. Well, and as you said, a lot of the time people just need to see what real love looks like. Yeah. And sometimes just seeing real love, the hands and feet of God, the love of God for them in their darkest moments. Yeah. That's what brings people back to the truth. That's what wakes their souls up, what wakes their minds up, you know? Yeah. It's not where they've been or what they've done. It's who he made them to be. He loves them. He knows them, you know? Yeah, he does. He's I, called them. Yes. There are a few things I just want to go back and touch on. One, so that night that you were almost killed by your ex-husband, when you, you came to God that night, you, you knew that you needed church. He did in some ways <laughs> in yeah. that moment. Did you stop using drugs immediately was it like a total Once, deliverance yes. yes he lifted the obsession i didn't use after so so it, this was um february the 13th 1995 mm -hmm. few minutes before midnight i my anniversary with the lord is february the 14th of 1995 and in 2001 i was in the field already working in this field and and i had my separation from this individual and at some yeah. point I, I fell away from the Lord some nine, 11 months later, I fell into sin and, um, and I fell away from the Lord. I was in, I, I didn't know how to do relationships. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, and, and I wasn't webbed. Nobody webbed me. I webbed my, you know, I participated <laughs> and, um, and I, I ate crow. I relapsed. And mm -hmm. so my, my recovery date today is um, March 16th of 2003. 
And, uh, but I had to get arrested. I can't open those doors uh, yeah. to, to substances and, and the enemy has a plot and God has a plan. And so when I, when I relapsed, it was gradual. But when I ate relapsed and I lost everything, I was back out there in the streets. And after you know Christ and you've tasted of his goodness and his mercy and his, and the peace that you have with him, there's no peace out there. Ain't no there's high no, that can get you high. That's right. I, I was walking the streets with that silent cry, hustling the streets. You can't, you know, I have so much HIV STD training that that just screwed me all up out there trying to be mm-hmm. a public relations worker. You know, you can't <laughs> be out there trying to excuse my language, you know, um, social work or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do that in peace after you have all that image, you know, training. And so, and, and after you've tasted of God's goodness, there's nothing, nothing. I, I, I remember yeah. walking the streets and, um, you know, two, three in the morning and I had, there were scriptures that I didn't understand when I was a baby in the Lord, but I had revelation out there. And, yeah. and that silent cry, your mug will look stiff and you'll look stone face and poker face. And like, you don't care, you know, what people see, you know, you're not ashamed. You lift your head up high and you're selling your body. It's all a facade. You're hurting inside. I had a silent cry and God could hear my cry. And I love him. I absolutely love him. I've had people that were, they would pass by me and, and uh, offer me food and, and just trick me and want to grab my hand and prophesy over me. And I'm like, and, and not knowing what the heck. And then later someone gets murdered inches from my face. And, and I remember earlier feeling upset that that woman just prayed protection over me. How dare she, you know, cause you know, you're full of junk, you know, demons. And so, so you don't care for somebody just grab you and prophesy and pray over you. But that person had something to do with what took place at two, three in the morning when they murdered someone minches from me, you know? Yeah. And, and so I was able to, to connect. I'm able to not see in the spirit realm, but believe in my, in, cause I don't know how you see in the spirit. Realm. I've seen stuff. Yeah. I've seen demonic and under the influence I've seen dark things and I don't know what happened. I don't know what yeah. happened. We're shut down, but I've told the Lord, I want to be a seer. I want to see. And the Lord mm-hmm. tells me, you are a seer. You see people through my eyes. And, yeah. um, but I believe that because of the drugs, at some point I must've just, I don't know, just the dark. I was able to, you know, I've never seen angels, but I believe that when I walk outside and the clouds look a certain form, those are angels. God's showing me that, that angels just made all those, that formations for me. You know, if I see colors, I believe, God is telling there's angelic presence. And I don't know how I believe I'm just learning from, from y'all in, in this prophetic groups, you know, and the global yeah. <laughs> and I'm learning, you know? <laughs> so I'm just like, I believe in my heart. I believe, and I can't explain why or how I just believe. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I'm in this. Yeah. So I know that I had a few other things I wanted to say, and I can't think straight right now. Just, well, I, the, the other thing I just wanted to point out, because when I asked you if you knew God at all or had any introduction to him as a child, you said, no, not not Jesus. But when you talked about some different things when you were younger, I realized there were still seeds planted at different yeah. points. You didn't have the church experience. You didn't know God personally, but you had those moments of peace looking through the Catholic Bible with your mom when she told yeah. you who that man was in that picture with that door, you know, and you had that moment when that Christian family took you in when you were Mm -hmm. pregnant and you had those moments in the street when people were ministering to you, you know, 
I think so often people underestimate the value of planting seeds in somebody's life and they might not see the fruit of that in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. you got witness to how many times, but in I the got moment about 12. Yeah. Yeah. But in that moment when you needed God most, you knew who he was and you knew where to turn to. So we plant those seeds and God waters them. And I love that. And I love that he sent his people, his laborers to you when you needed them most, even to protect you when you didn't realize what they were doing. You know, he was there. He was covering you. He was protecting you even in the worst places that you brought yourself into. He was still there with you, protecting you. And I just, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. I had one experience I want to share because it's important to, um, it's important to fan and listen to your children when they're saying they had an experience. Mm -hmm. I did have an experience when I was, I think I was six and I think it was a vision, but it could have been a dream um, where I was in, in bed and, and out of this, we have this large window that faced like, you know, of course, darkness, right? And there's a, a Catholic church up on top of our backyard. It was like a hill and there was a church up there. But we were we were in bed and I remember my bed was facing that because there was no curtain, you know? I don't know. Yeah. They were washing the curtains and we just didn't own a curtain. I don't know. I was a little kid. And remember I did tell you we were poor, right? So, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember laying there looking out, but it was either a dream or a vision, but there was a little tinker light, like a little star just you know, running around yeah. out there, the little Tinkerbell light. And then it boop, came into the window and the whole room lit up and, wow. and, and a figure was sitting right here. I believe it was Jesus, his mm-hmm. gown. I couldn't see his face and he was going like this to me. Putting like his arm around and, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the, on my floor was all these little cousins. Cause remember I, I told you I never really fit in. And I didn't yeah. know that my aunts and cousins, they knew that I wasn't a, a biological child too. To, to this father, you know, I didn't know yeah. that, but I didn't know that. So I used to always feel, and I didn't know why I was feeling, but I could see now I was discerning something. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't know there was a name, there wasn't a name to it. And, but, but I believe now that I remember telling my mom that I think Jesus came in through the window and he was <laughs> holding me and he was telling my cousins, there was no words. I didn't hear Jesus talk, yeah. but he was telling the impression. Like I said, he was telling them, I love her. She's with me. I'm with her. I'm here with her. Yeah. Like I believed, I think, cause that's why, cause of the rejection and the abandonment and not fitting in. I believe that that's what he was telling them. But of course he's Jesus. He can't tell. Jesus can't tell kids that, right? <laughs> sure he but, can. But, <laughs> but I remember telling my mom and my mom hushed me on that. And I believe that sometimes parents do things that they have no clue that they're shutting down their kids' gifts because yeah. they have no, you know, they, they don't have no language for that. And I remember, so stop making up stuff. Stop, you know, sometimes in some cultures they say that stop being a liar. Don't make up things. <laughs> but moving forward, I could see how that was Jesus coming into my life Absolutely. to show me, place an impression that I'm with you. I'm always going to be with you and for you. You know, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I look back now and I'm able to I put a, I'm going to say it because I've also hushed my story that mm-hmm. that one that one moment I didn't I haven't shared it much. I've shared it with one other person that knew um, doing some helping me with some work and inner healing. But other than that, I didn't. Uh, I've always kept it quiet. And so it's important to not. You know, it is for children. When children say, I, 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 I see this or I see that, 
you know, don't send them off and, or put them on meds or. <laughs> yeah. Don't shut down their vision. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I left out, but like I said, I was going to be a toss salad and I got clean March 16th of 03. I had to get arrested again. And, and, uh, when I relapsed, I got arrested and, and, um, and I didn't want to cry out to God. I felt ashamed and I felt like I get let God down. And, and I remember in jail, God just gave me so many opportunities. I had an, an inmate, uh, Bunky, that was 18 years old and was just diagnosed with uh, cervical cancer. And, oh, wow. um, and I remember she asked me in my cell, she asked me in my cell, do I know how to pray? And I remember trying so, so hard, so, so, so hard to like request somebody else, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and God didn't let me do that. And, and then, and then she, she, they moved her and they brought me another little girl. Um, she was pregnant and I say little girl, cause I was older than them, than, yeah. than them. And, and I remember she had a lot of God questions and, and, and I was like, you know, you need to go to church and, and, and ask them to give you, but the Lord was, was like, <laughs> you haven't let me down. Like I already know what was in your books. And, yeah. and it turned out that before I got released there in March of 2003, I was there about three months uh, in a little bit. Um, I remember that I was leading prayer in that cell block. And uh, wow. <laughs> but the Lord, was <laughs> he was calling me back. He was. Yeah, he was. He was calling me back. And um, he, at, he wouldn't let you ignore your calling. He wasn't. He wasn't. He's, he wasn't. He's awesome. And uh, moving forward here I am today and I haven't really shared my testimony like I shared with you earlier for, for a little bit to mm-hmm. some years. And, um, and I just want to thank you for the honor and giving me yeah. this opportunity. Thank to, you. I believe that I'm a mouth in the kingdom, but somehow I got silent. I got silent and I need to take the lid off. <laughs> Sometimes like David, we stay in a cave for a little bit of time and then there's a time to come out. So Thank yeah. you for coming on and doing this. I I do have just one more question and then just one other thing that I just wanted to point out that I remembered from what you were sharing and what you were just saying about God sending these young women to you and in jail was so perfect in this because God knows what he pulled you out of. He knows that you have a heart for people that are walking through things that you have walked through. And that you have a tenderness that others can't have. And he sends you like a special forces, yeah. you know, a special forces laborer on his behalf to speak to these people. It's like you said, you know, the Holy Spirit led you to this young man right before Thanksgiving. I mean, let's be honest. Your mom did not lose her phone by coincidence and it did not end up in his hand by coincidence. Mm-hmm your mom's phone ended up in his hand because God was sending you to him. And I yep. just love the things that seem like a coincidence to us are not a coincidence to God. It is his spirit working and moving and putting pieces together. And I just love how he shows up for his children in that way in so many more ways than we could even imagine. And sometimes he has to let people get to a place where all they can do is cry out to him, but he's been there protecting the entire time, just like he was with you. So I just, I just wanted to highlight that because I thought that was so wonderful. 
And then before we close out, I just have one question for you. If you could leave the audience with one nugget from today, a nugget of wisdom or encouragement or blessing, what would it be? If it's okay to split that into two nuggets. <laughs> yeah, go for <laughs> two, it. Two half a nuggets. <laughs> one is if, if for the person that's listening to this, if you're using or you feel using, drinking, whatever, you're, you're caught up in some kind of addiction and you feel that you've gone messed up way too far, uh, you're, you know, you've lost your children or you've done some things that you're just not proud of. Father loves you. He loves you. There is nothing that you're going through that he doesn't know about and that he can't take care of. He can set you free. He's got the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. He can turn everything around and give you double for all your trouble, pain and shame. He's the one that redeems and turns things around. He could say to the dead man, come out of that cave, come forth. He's the one that gives sight to the blind and, and, and his abilities to the lame. He's the one that, that, that he can save you, cry out to him. If you yes. hear my voice, he can save you. If you feel like, well, what's the purpose? I've lost my kids. It's, it's too late. No, it's not too late. I was the mother from hell. I'll say it myself. I was a mother from hell, but I am the grandmother from heaven. So God redeems everything. I have grandchildren that love me. I have grandchildren that I can teach the word to. I have grandchildren that I can sow into. And my children are being healed as they watch. And they tell yes. me sometimes, mom, and I say, don't question nothing. I know I was a mother from hell. Sometimes they want to tell my story in a little, and I, let me say it, because you're not going to make it as, as, you know, let me put, let me put a real color into it. And they're like, no, 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 don't, yeah. mom, don't. <laughs> they get a little embarrassed, you know, I say, yeah, I'm going to say I'm as a mother from hell, but I'm a grandmother from heaven. And, uh, and yeah. I will say it because I know who I am today. I'm his, I'm who he says I am. So if you're listening to me, you are not what your head tells you, what your ex told you, what your society told you, what your record told you. You are not any of those. You are what he says you are. And in the word of God, it doesn't say any of those things. If it's there, please make sure you contact Brittany to show me where it's at. You are none of those things. You are what God says. Uh, I have not found it. Any of the labels that I wore tough before, they're not in there. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the apple of his eye. You're the head, not the tail. You're above, not below. You're more than a conqueror. Your days have been written out to you. There's nothing that's a surprise to father. And you might have been surprised and disappointed, but father can turn all that around. And for the mom that is listening to me, a mother, a grandmother, a parent, a father, if you're listening, do not give up praying. Don't stop praying for your child. Don't stop relieving. Stop celebrating. Stop praising him. The word of God says that he's going to bring our sons and our daughters from, from the land of the enemy. He is faithful to his word. His word doesn't return void. And he is, he loves those children. That's why he called you yes. to be the parent. That's why he called you to be the grandparent. That's why he called you. He loves your children. What you want for them is just a minute of what he already, he wants. He loves them. He loves them. So line yourself up. The word of God says that an intercessor is a friend of God. So line yourself up, get yourself back up, knock that hope, hope hopelessness off of you or doubt and unbelief. Deal with that, you know, repent of it and deal and renounce that and believe, believe for your kids. Don't give up praying. Don't give up believing. You know, and yeah. if you stop believing, I'm going to tell you exactly what uh, Brittany learned to believe again. <laughs> Listen to all of these yeah. podcasts. You know, the Bible <laughs> says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I'm a, I'm a prodigal. I'm a prodigal that should be dead. And I'm not. I'm alive. 
And, uh, and, and we get to pray those, those children that you're praying for, they're going to come forth. I decree and declare a divine reversal in every yes, one Lord. of those children's lives. I decree a divine reversal. If you're addicted to drugs and alcohol, I decree a divine reversal. I speak life over your life right now. And I yes. decree and declare that you're going to be a world changer, a history maker and a kingdom worker. And that you're going to go back like Moses and say, let my people go. In the mighty yes, name of Lord. Jesus, and I decree over your children. If there, I decree over your children. Come forth now in the name of Jesus. Yes, the Father, Lord. the Word of God says that that the Son, the foolish Son, asked the Father for his inheritance, and he went out there and he he he, he just blew it all up. But he ended up in the pig's pen and he came to his senses. So I decree and declare they're coming to his sen- their senses in yes, Jesus' Lord. mighty name. I decree a divine Jesus. reversal. There is nothing nothing, nothing, nothing father can't do. He's going to blow your hair back. Just continue to pray and believe. And father, I just thank you for the divine reversals in these families' lives in Jesus mighty name. Amen. In Jesus mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much, Isabel, for coming on today. That was wonderful. I felt the power of the Holy spirit on that. Thank you. Thank you for the honor. Thank you for helping me get the lid off. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And thank you listeners for joining us today. Have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week.